slide. Today, you're going to see the slide alludes to our discussion on soil, uh, gardening kind of a thing. Well, actually not really. It talks a little bit about our spiritual life, our spiritual life as soil, um, or our walk as Christians, uh, comparing that to soil. To do this, we're going to examine a parable of Jesus. That's the parable of the sower, one of my, one of my favorite, actually. Now, this parable can be found in Matthew, Mark, as well as in Luke. We're going to start off by uh, going and looking at the book of Luke. So if you guys would open, me up, open with me up to Luke 8, 4 through 8. We'll read through that. All right, Luke 8 states, When a large crowd was coming together, and those from various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by the way of the parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it. Other seed fell in rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seeds fell into good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The parables mean a lot to me. Growing up in a Catholic home, I loved to read through the parables of Jesus. I loved the stories and the idea that they came directly from the mouth of Jesus. But at the time, they were nothing more than stories to me because, frankly, some of those stories, they didn't make a lot of sense. I really struggled with that. Uh, were they meant to be entertaining? Were they said to just maintain the attention of the crowd? Were, were they used to try to gain that relationship with those type of people that Jesus was speaking to at the time, trying to connect with them and what they do? Well, my theory is this. My theory is that the parables served both these purposes. But the primary purpose of allowing the people of that time to understand the truth in terms and in examples that they would best understand. So does this theory stand up in the parable of the sower? I feel that it does, but to understand it, I want to provide a brief history lesson at the time. Now, bear with me. I understand history is not as fun as finance, but, but we'll, we'll give it a shot. We'll give it a shot. All right, so in the days of Jesus, agriculture was the primary way of life. Families would own very large parcels of land, and they would depend on that land for all their food. Those lands would be separated by a walkway or a road, and that road was used a lot, right? They'd walk between the fields because they didn't want to damage the crops that they had planted. Well, as you can only imagine, these, these crops being, or I'm sorry, these paths being as heavily used would quickly become compact. So in the parable, some fell on the path. Okay, that's our example. As the farmers prepared that soil, planting around the edges in the far corners of the field where the plow was unable to take hold, it wasn't really ideal for planting. There were a lot of rock piles. The soil in which was there was not very deep because the, the rocks would kind of stop it from, uh, from gaining depth. And the parable states, some fell on rocky soil. That's an example of rocky soil. And just as I'm sure that some of you guys can relate to, uh, there's areas in our own gardens, right, in our own lawns, where roots of unwanted plants could remain. Possibly a bird could drop a seed, another animal could drop a seed in there, and the weeds will spring up. So in our example, the parable states, it grew among the thorns. And that was a struggle of the time as well, because they didn't have quite the sophisticated equipment that we have today. So finally... As the parable states, there are areas where the soil was pure. The weeds were gone, the soil was tilled, the nutrients were present. Hallelujah. Some landed on good soil. And just a quick note, I'm going to guilt my parents in this, this podcast. I showed a picture of their garden to just show what a great job they did. 
that was the, the good soil example. All right. So now that I've mentioned some different types of soil, I want to provide one last bit of info. You see, when a farmer of that time planted, it was not in meticulous rows. It was not done perfectly aligned. It was not using the equipment that we have today or the tools that we have today. They basically would grab handfuls of seed and they would throw it out covering large areas. Now imagine, we're talking acres and acres that they have to plow, they have to plant on their own. So they'd just get out there and sometimes that, that wind would take the soil um, and just it would land in various areas. And that's why it was so important for the farmers to have very good, prepared, receptive soil. Does that make sense? All right. Well, history lesson is complete, but you can't leave yet. Hold on. There's more. So looking back at my life, I know that as a child and even as a young adult, parables were nothing more than stories to me, as I stated. Firmly, this, I believe that this was because I did lack that true relationship with God. Sometimes I would talk with God, or more specifically talk to God, but I didn't have at the time that connection. I didn't have the Holy Spirit there to help me to discern the truth. So again, that's why it was more of just like stories to me. You know, in the scripture, Jesus himself tells us that even with his message conveyed, with the concepts that could be understood, and the true message there, that it could be lost, and I truly believe that it's still lost today, without that personal relationship with Jesus. You see, their soil was uncultivated. Their hearts were hardened. This is made evident clearly in Matthew 13, 13 through 15. See, Jesus was conversing with his disciples, and they were questioning why exactly he was speaking in parables. Why was that necessary? Matthew states, Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. While hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of these people has become dull, with their ears, they scarcely hear. And with their closed eyes, they don't see. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts in return. And I would heal them. I think that's so important. I love that Jesus states he would heal them. He will heal you. So what does the parable of the sower tell us? Well, let's continue our conversation by talking quickly about the three main components that play a part in this parable. First one being the seed, the seed representing God's word. You know, a seed has the potential to grow into the most beautiful plant, the largest tree or most vibrant bush. A seed can, in turn, someday provide life-giving fruit. I wanted to throw up this illustration because the cycle of the seed kind of is a real good, real close parallel to the way I think God's word grows in our lives, um, how it, our own development takes place in Jesus. To start, most of the time the seed is planted in darkness. It's under the soil. It lays dormant for quite some time, sometimes really long time. As time goes on without proper, or I'm sorry, without proper nourishment, with proper nourishment, it is amateur day, guys. Show grace. <laughs> Provided by God and fellow Christians, that nourishment will help the seed begin to grow. Now, it starts to grow. The process is often unseen, right? It's happening below the soil level. It's not visible to, to naked eyes. Now, as it starts to grow, <clears throat> the day comes when the seed becomes a sprout. That sprout breaks through and enters the light. I liken this to us initially receiving Jesus. Now, at this point, the sprout is small and tender. 
It can easily be thwarted. But through continued care and nourishment, that sprout develops into a plant, continually reaching for the light. There's the dirty hands again. Now, sometimes to ensure the plant flourishes, some weeding has to get done around it, right, to keep it healthy and to, to stop other plants from interfering with it. But uninhibited, that plant grows stronger. Its roots grow deeper and firmer. Eventually, if healthy, that plant bears fruit. Well, more specifically, vegetables in this illustration. I visualize that for several of us, that journey is, is what we're going through right now. It's what we're undergoing. Nurturing that seed grows and grows that plant. It'll eventually bear fruit. Well, let's get to the other two components. First one being, again, the seed. Second one being the sower. The sower is God, preacher, pastor, everyone who's received Jesus into their hearts. The seed is every one of us. It should be every one of us. I'm sorry, the sower should be every one of us. We should all be sharing God's love, all be sharing God's word. Amen? All right. The soil, that is us. That's more specifically the state of our faith walk. The receptiveness of our hearts to the truth, the ability for us to provide the foundation that allows for growth. As I discussed earlier, the sower or farmer would just throw that seed out. That seed would sometimes be caught by the wind, have the potential to land on the different types of soils. Just like God's word, his word is shared across cities, across towns, across the world. And it's many people, all people are exposed to it. How that seed is spread is important, but no matter how healthy that seed is or how tailored or anointed that message might be, it does have the potential to fail if not received into the right kind of soil. So I want to ask a simple question, one in which only you guys can answer. How is your attitude for Christ? How rich is your spiritual soil? You know, the first soil discussed in this parable is that of the soil alongside the road. Now, as I mentioned, the soil is hard. Soil has been compacted by foot traffic, heavy use, by the elements. This sounds a lot like the typical kind of soil that inevitably I'm stuck trying to drive a tent stake in every time we go camping. Now, as the seed hits that soil, it stays there gently sitting on top. It lays there out in the open for the birds of the air to consume. Opportunistic birds of the air, acting just like the Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8 that Satan does. The passage states, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls among like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I believe that Satan is looking for opportunities to interject doubt, to take advantage of fear, to wipe away our trust in God when we falter. We can't have hard, trampled soil. Spiritual pride, unwillingness to submit to the will of God, are things that can allow the seed to be taken. Without, without that seed, life within you will begin fading, leaving you feeling empty, alone, hurting. That's a situation I was in before I received the Lord in my heart. The second soil message in the passage is that in which it was rocky and lacked true depth. This can be the most dangerous type of soil to deal with. You see, because as that seed remains just under the surface, the warmth of the sun will quickly warm it up. If there's moisture present, that seed will sprout and it will sprout fast. But unfortunately, without the sprout being fully rooted, as the heat of the sun increases, that will then dry up, wilt, fading away without any moisture to continue to draw from. 
As new Christians, many of us were quick to accept Jesus and bask in the feeling of completeness that he offers, which is a wonderful thing. But we must be cautious, because if we do not continue to foster that relationship with study, continued prayer, communion with fellow believers, we can be just as that sprout. We can start to begin to feel rejected and separated from God when the heat of life challenges or woes impacts us. We must strive to be deeply rooted in him. We must intentionally and frequently spend time in the word, spend time with the Savior. Now, I'm not just saying this for you. I'm saying this for me. I cannot believe how convicted I was in writing this sermon because there are times when I don't spend time with the Lord. I'm not intentional about my time in the word. And it shows in my life. It shows in how I feel. We must strive to be deeply rooted in him. We must intentionally and frequently spend time in the word, spend time with our Savior. There are times when our walk with God must cost us something. It may cause us separation between friends. It may even cause separation in families. But God does call to be first. Christ will help us withstand that. The third type is that of the weedy or thorny soil. As seeds fell among the thorns, it began to grow. And I can envision them possibly even beginning to bear fruit. But as they grew, they found themselves in competition with those thorns, with those weeds that were present. The weeds grew a little taller than the sprouts and it blocked the sun, causing those sprouts to wither away. Or maybe even the plants did grow, but their growth was stifled. The growth was stopped, keeping them from bearing fruit or growing to their true potential. You know, in our walk with Christ, we can encounter things that block us from having a close relationship with God. There might be desires, wants, addictions that can keep us from thriving. It's ugly. This could be in the form of pornography, substance abuse, Pursuit of wealth to simply allow what we want to, dr- to trump the true desires of God. To give him our time, time in which he gave us to begin with. Remember, guys, our first and our best doesn't just include our money. It includes our time. It includes our focus, our God-given talents and abilities. Our God-given talents and abilities. We didn't do this on our own. Finally, in the parable, Jesus discusses the last type of soil. That's the good soil. Soil that was worked up, it was rich, and it was deep without weeds. All thorns were removed. In this soil, the seed was allowed to grow, to develop, to be nourished, and to thrive. In this soil, that seed was allowed to bear fruit, fruit that could benefit others, fruit that could grow seeds that could be spread. You know, in our walk with Christ, we need to provide good soil. I need to provide good soil. I need to cultivate it. I need to weed it. I need to give the nourishment it's needed by by living for God and letting him grow through me. So how can we do this? How can we fertilize our spirit with his word? Well, it's intentional, it's frequent, it's reoccurring time spent in the Bible, spent in his word. Joshua 1.8 states that study this book of instruction continually. Meditate it. Meditate on it day and night. Be sure to obey everything that's written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed. Prayer. God wants to hear from you. It doesn't matter what or when. Thank him for what you have. Ask him for what you need. As we've heard time and time again, and we've seen examples of it, God will provide. 
He'll give us what we need. God has that desire to hear from you. I can hear when I call my parents the joy in their voice to hear from me. That I took the time out of my day, took a few minutes away from my family, that I gave them a call to let them know that they're important to me and I want to tell them about what's going on in my life. I think God feels the same way when we talk to him. This, this son, this daughter of mine, has taken the time to, to give just to me, to say hello to me, to thank me for what I've given to them. I think he really delights in hearing from us. That's why he traded us. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, in Luke 11, 2 through 4, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. He gave us the direction. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. I want to stop for a second. Something that really spoke to me there is, it's not the food we want. It's not necessarily the food that we we strive for, but God promises that he'll give us what we need. Amen? All right. And forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Guys, we can weed our gardens. We could definitely weed our gardens. I have a lot of weeds in my garden. How are you spending our time? What is controlling our lives? What are we putting first? In Exodus, God is very clear about what he wants us to put first. In Exodus 23 through 6, it states, You shall have no other gods before me. More importantly, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven, above or on earth, or beneath the water. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love kindness to the thousands, to those who love me, and keep my commandments. God deserves to be made first in our lives. The pursuit of pleasure, money, sports can be obstacles to those relationships. Now, please don't get me wrong. Most of those are fine in moderation. And God wants us to see us enjoy ourselves. But we need to remember that God does desire to be the center of our lives. So, is there pain from your past holding you back? Maybe unforgiveness? God is willing and most certainly able to help you through anything and everything. He states in Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as in common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, what you are capable. But with the temptation, he'll provide you a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. It's, it's a promise. Psalms 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God doesn't turn his back. God lifts us up. Before I close, I feel I need to add some fine print. See, God has indeed promised that he will never leave our sides. But we also be cognizant of the fact that we live in a place of sin, live in a world of sin. There will be hard times. There will be times when, unfortunately, healing just doesn't come or doesn't come as quickly as we like. God does promise, though, that if we trust in his son Jesus, the lamb that was sacrificed for all, that we can indeed have eternal life, a life which we will be made new. 
brand new in him. So as we close, I challenge you to take a look at your garden. Are you cultivating the relationship with God that you want? Are you answering the call to his desires, not your own? The condition of your soil dictates the output of the harvest. Are you at the full potential of God, the full potential that he intends for you? God wants to see us be great. God wants wonderful things for us. Are there still weeds in your life that need to be pulled? Is it time to start pouring some miracle grow on your garden? You know, God has us covered in that department. The Lord desires nothing greater than have that personal relationship with you. I'm going to ask you now to stand with me. In a minute, I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm simply going to ask for a show of hands from those who are feeling the prompting to invite the Lord into your heart for the first time. Or maybe, maybe it's an opportunity as an act of surrender to ask the Lord back into your lives, to make, make the Lord back the center of your life. There's nothing special about the words that we're going to repeat. It's simply a way of verbally inviting the Lord to come into our hearts in a very real, life, real way. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, is there anyone here who feels the prompting, who feels like they want to commit their lives to the Lord today? There's no need to keep your hand up, just a quick raise your hand. This is just between myself, the Lord, and you. No one else is looking. This is just an act of surrender and worship. Please repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I want to experience your mercy today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. I admit I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. This is not a battle that I can fight on my own. I'm inviting you, O God, to be mine right now. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Live in me as the director of my life from this point forward. Help me, Lord, to cultivate the soil of my soul, allowing me to grow in your ways. I believe you are the God who is rich in mercy. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe deep inside you want to recommit yourself to the Lord, I challenge you to speak to another believer today. Speak to another Christian. Share that. Let's, let's rejoice together in the fact that the Lord is now back at the center where he belongs. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that you there, you're there to guide us through everything, Lord God, through all of his life's challenges. We rejoice in your name, Lord God, and just pray for your continued guidance. Help us to bear fruit, true fruit, God-given fruit that can be shared with those around us. Bless our day, bless our journeys, Lord.